Matthew chapter 1. I've been praying and seeking the Lord's guidance in, in how to really deal with the passages that we often turn to when it involves Christmas. Matthew 1 and 2 are certainly those, uh, Luke chapter 2. And the Lord has led me in a direction that I believe will be a help to you uh, this morning. And I, I desire in my heart that we live with joy, that we're excited and we're passionate about the right things, that we're more passionate about our relationship with the Lord and we're more joyful about it than anything else in our life. Anything. Our football teams can win or lose. People can come and go. But God is always faithful. And we need to be joyful and passionate about the right things. And we struggle. We are a culture. We are a society that struggles with the subject that I want to preach on this morning. I want us to begin reading in verse number 18. And we're just going to read a few verses down to verse 21. And so if you don't mind, let's all read them together. 18, 19, 20, and 21 together this morning. Verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So the next couple of weeks, I want to speak to you about the gifts of Christmas. And it's more than the presents that are put nicely wrapped and put under a tree and we spend, we spend a lot of money on. I want to speak to you about the gifts that God gives us. And I want to celebrate those things this morning. And the one that I want to deal with today is based on verse 21. Because the angel of the Lord told Joseph that thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. And this morning I want us to look at the subject of the gift of forgiveness. The gift of forgiveness. Our Father, now we come to this time. And really everything throughout this week is leading up to this time that we come together and we worship. It's a time that we're all assembled in this one place. And I've prayed and I've sought and I've studied and I've, I've did everything that I could to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that you have led me to this message on this particular day. So Lord, there's going to be a lot of things. I believe that Satan would love for us to stay discouraged and troubled. There's going to be a lot of things that's going to get in our way. 
we're going to allow things to distract us. Our thoughts will tend to, to move elsewhere. But would you, in this time that we have, captivate our minds, open our hearts to yourself, and may you pour yourself into us, administer to us right where we need it. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Ernest Hemingway grasped some of the difficulties that characterizes relationships between fathers and sons in his short story, The Capital of the World. The setting of the story was in Spain, and it revolved around a father and his teenage son who was named Paco. And Paco was an extremely common name in Spain at that time. With desires to become a famous matador and to escape his father's control, Paco ran away to the capital city of Madrid. And his father, who was desperate to reconcile with his son, followed him to Madrid. And after many attempts to find him, he finally decided to simply put an ad in the local newspaper with a simple phrase, Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. Signed, your father. Hemingway then writes, the next day at noon in front of the newspaper office, there were 800 Pacos, all seeking forgiveness from their dad. The world is filled with people in need of forgiveness and reconciliation. Filled with people. Just take some time and listen to people and what they are dealing with as they share their true hearts. A quick, a quick glance of the earthly lineage of Christ reveals a list of people whose lives were marked by sins of betrayal, lust, power, and even death. I direct your attention to verse number 2 where it says, Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac begat Jacob. And immediately I, I think of Jacob's need for forgiveness from his brother Esau, who, who he deceived in receiving his father's, his birthright and his father's blessing. The end of verse number two, Judah is mentioned. And Judah would require the forgiveness of his younger brother Joseph, whom he betrayed. And he'd also require forgiveness from his father Jacob, who believed for years through the lies of his sons that Joseph was dead. In verse number five, Rahab the harlot is mentioned. She needed forgiveness as a result of her lifestyle choices. Verse number 6, David would require forgiveness for his affair with Bathsheba and the conspiring murder of her husband Uriah. In verse 7, Solomon could not leave women alone. 
And his sin divided the kingdom of Israel. And the list goes on and on. Some of their sins were widely known. Others perhaps were more secret. Nevertheless, just like the people sitting in the church this morning, they were all a mess. Their lives were filled with mistakes and sin. Yet all of them direct us to the most profound model of forgiveness discovered in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in verse 20, it was explained to him the uniqueness of the child that was now in Mary's womb. There were things that Joseph did not understand and there were questions that he needed answers. And he's trying to figure out the appropriate way to handle everything. God sent a messenger and he told him of the child that was to be born A child who would be a son and his name would be called Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. His very name means Jehovah is salvation. And so the cradle, the manger that Jesus was laid into as a baby would one day lead to the cross And this child whose first coming we celebrate every Christmas would be a child who would meet the need of all mankind. What need is that that I speak of? Well, in Acts chapter 13 and verse 38, the Apostle Paul spoke of it in his first recorded sermon, saying, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man... Jesus Christ is preached unto you the forgiveness of sin. And that is a need that all of us have, a need to be forgiven. All of us this morning are different. We come from various backgrounds and we've gotten to where we are in this stage of life, whether it was by the choices we have made or circumstances that were thrust upon us. But the common thread that is woven through all our lives is that we have all made our share of mistakes. We've all been guilty at some point. We've all done things that we wish we hadn't. We all made choices that we wish we could take back. Many times our mistakes have hurt ourselves. Other times we've hurt others. But every time, we have hurt God. And the seeds of the mistakes we have sown most often reap guilt in our own consciences. The seeds of the mistakes sown against others or against us often leads to bitterness and anger growing within our hearts. But God has placed in our hearts a longing for forgiveness because of the burden that we carry is far too heavy for any of us. In an article published by the staff of the Mayo Clinic, they write that forgiveness leads to healthier relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety, less stress, 
and less hostility. Fewer symptoms of depression. Lower blood pressure. I mean, who doesn't want these things, right? Forgiveness leads to a stronger immune system. Improved heart health. And improved self-esteem. And if we're honest this morning, everything on this list plagues our society today. And even though it is medically proven that forgiveness is a powerful antidote to these problems, we treat it as a pill that is too big for us to swallow. So instead of seeking forgiveness, we struggle to ever forgive ourselves. Our hurts refuse us to allow us to forgive others. And our guilt, our embarrassment, or perhaps our own self-righteousness suppresses our own willingness to ask others to forgive us. So we hold on to that guilt, and we hold on to that hurt, and we allow that burden to become our identity. And so with our heads hung in shame and our faces riddled with sorrow, our eyes filled with tears, we continue carrying this burden and depression becomes our faithful companion. Or we become angry because we believe in our heart that either something happened to us or someone close to us and that we have been done wrong. And we become so wrapped up in the pain of our past hurts that we never enjoy the moment of the present. The Mayo Clinic adds that if these feelings are left unresolved, this hurt and bitterness will then interpret the value of our future relationships as we begin to devalue the relationships of our past. So there's a need in our life. We need to be forgiven. We need to be forgiven of God. We need to be forgiven of ourselves. And sometimes we need to forgive others or we need to ask others for forgiveness. So the next question leads to my second point. How do we move forward? We see the gift of forgiveness. It was the 18th century poet Alexander Pope who wrote in his essay on criticism the famous words, To err is human, to forgive divine. Pope reminds us that People make mistakes as we're all sinners. And that forgiveness is rooted in the power of God more than it is rooted in the power of man. And if we're to understand and experience forgiveness in the most purest form, we're wise to turn to our Savior and the cross. So I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 23. And I want us to... to read of a powerful example of what forgiveness does in our life and the lives of others. Let's begin reading in verse 33. 
And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I read that passage and I, I, think, of, I think of our Christ, who under the pain and cruelty of the cross, how does Jesus minister to an individual's eternal need. Although earlier in Mark 15, verse 32, the Bible tells us that the same man also reviled him. The same man mocked him. The same man accused him. And now he's, Jesus is hanging on the cross and the crowd is doing all of this. And this one on his right hand is mocking him continually. And here is one who says, I deserve what I'm getting. Lord, would you remember me? Would you forgive me for the mistakes that I have made? How can Christ do that? How does he set the example? Well, if you go back to verse 34, I believe that is where it is found. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was forgiveness that allowed him to minister to someone who hurt him. Forgiveness is both powerful and freeing. So here's a powerful thought. Before we even ask for it, Jesus is already there willing to forgive us. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he looks over a crowd who's parting his raiment and casting lots and mocking him and saying, if you're the Christ, if you're the chosen of God, save yourself as you did others. And he's saying, Father, forgive those people. He had already forgiven his accusers when they weren't even aware they were doing wrong. 
And he does the same for us. The Bible says in Romans 5 in verse 8 that God commendeth his love toward us. He reveals his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's not that we ever get to a point that we are deserving of forgiveness. It's not that we are at a point that we have suddenly figured everything out right and we're never going to mess up again. Jesus knows our faults and our failures. And he knows our future and our mistakes. And even then he reveals his love toward us. And is offering us forgiveness. The struggle, however, is that we would rather live in the shame of our sin than accept the gift of forgiveness he so freely offers. There was, a, there was a little boy who was visiting his grandparents, and he had a slingshot, Sawyer. He had a slingshot that he was trying to use, and everything he shot at, cans, everything. He was a terrible shot. And he gets that mischievous boy, he's just got that in him, it's natural. And he sees his grandmother's pet duck. We all know what's going to happen, right? He, pull, he puts that little marble in that slingshot and he pulls it back and he lets it go. And he can tell when he let it go, he, he made a good shot. And his horror, he saw that duck drop. And he ran to it. And he picked up that duck and he could tell it was dead. And so quickly, overwhelmed with guilt... He doesn't go run inside to tell grandma. He covers it up and hides it. He picks up that duck and he carries it and he puts it under the porch. And when he comes, steps back, he looks up and there is his sister standing in the window. And he goes inside and sister gives him that look, you know. And they're standing, they're going throughout their day. And grandma comes in and she says, Sally, I need your help. I need your help with some things, some chores around the house. And Sally says, oh, it's okay, grandma. I can't remember his name. name. I'm going to call him Joey. Joey's already willing to do that for me. He's going to, he's, he's already said, I'll take care of the chores. And she looked at him and says, remember the duck? So he takes care of the chores. And this goes on for some time. Grandpa comes in one afternoon and he says, Hey, I got some time. How would you grandkids like to go fishing? And Grandma says, Well, Sally can't go. I need her help with some things in the kitchen. And Sally says, It's okay, Grandma. Joey said he would take care of it. And so Sally goes fishing. And after a little bit of this, Joey has had enough. And he finally comes to Grandma and he begins, his tears are uh, rolling down his face and he begins to cry to her and he says, Grandma, he says, I got to tell you, I'm so sorry. I was outside the other day with that slingshot that you gave me and I killed your pet duck. And I tried to hide it from you and I tried to pretend that I didn't do it but the burden is just too much. And Grandma kneeled down beside Joey, and she took him in her arms, 
and she says, Joey, I was looking out the window when you shot the duck. She says, I've already forgiven you because I love you. And I was just wondering how long you were going to let Sally hold you a slave to your mistake. God's already forgiven. But we try to hide it. Hide it from the one who sees all. We try to cover it up. We try to carry it. We try to hold it and we enslave ourselves to the bondage and the guilt. Rather than simply run to the one who offers forgiveness. Christ is hanging upon the cross arms wide open, and he's saying, I love you, I've already forgiven you, and we're standing there with our heads hung low saying, I'm unlovable, you can't possibly forgive me. If I had a dollar for every time I've heard someone say, God could never forgive me. And I always go to 1 John 1, verse number 7. Would you turn there with me because you need to know where this is in the Bible. I'm not talking about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but toward the end of your New Testament, the end of your Bible, there's 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. So I want you to look at the general epistle of 1 John and look at chapter 1 and look at verse number 7. And I want you to underline this verse or memorize this verse. Mark it in some way that you never forget it. John writes, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Isn't that a blessing? I have highlighted and underlined in my Bible the word all. And so whenever someone says, Pastor, if you just knew God couldn't forgive me for what I've done, I say, well, the Bible says in chapter 1 and verse 7 of 1 John, he is willing to cleanse us from all sin and apply his blood to that. Through Christ, God is offering us the gift that is both gracious and merciful. But we must receive that gift for it to be ours. And sadly, others of us are in bondage to our circumstances. We, we, view Jesus, we view Jesus hanging upon the cross and that selfless act of love, and yet we, we stand there, we stand there with our arms folded and a scowl on our face, and we say, you don't love me. God doesn't love me. If God loved me, I would, he wouldn't have allowed this to happen in my life. I didn't ask for this. Why am I going through this if Jesus loves me? But he does love us. And he's not only offering us forgiveness for and, and, sal and salvation from our sins, he's also offering us love and joy and peace through the indwelling of his spirit. And so what Christ teaches us is that whether we're in need of forgiveness or we need to forgive someone else, Forgiveness itself is incredibly freeing. So we come to my last point. And my final question is this. How can we experience this forgiveness? 
Well, there's freedom and forgiveness. First of all, we need to begin by asking God to forgive us. No man can forgive in a way that is edifying unless God's love is in his heart and he's experienced the forgiveness and grace in his own life. That's where you say amen. Have you experienced that? God is asking, God is there and he's offering this. And before we can forgive or before we can forgive ourselves, we must come to him. You're in 1 John 1, verse 7. Look at verse number 9. Underline this verse in your Bible. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a wonderful promise? If we come to him and say, Lord, I've messed up, I've made a mistake, I've, 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 I've caused a big problem here, and I'm, I'm coming to you and I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking for your grace and your compassion. We will never find anyone more merciful and gracious and compassionate to us than the Lord himself. So turning to him begins the process of healing. God, you promise if we come to you, if we confess our sins, if we confess our faults, our mistakes, our failures, that you are faithful and you'll forgive us and you will cleanse us and get us right. Secondly, we need to begin the process of forgiving ourselves. And this can be the hardest step for many of us. And the reason is because many of us view it as our responsibility to punish ourselves for what we have done. We can't get over it. We can't take it back. It has happened. And we feel this reason to self-condemn ourselves, And we become crippled by the guilt. But the Bible says in Romans 8 and verse number 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Our flesh may make it difficult for us to move past it. But God gives us his spirit that we might live in the fullness of his joy and peace rather than the self-imposed wrath that we place upon ourselves. God doesn't want you to live in guilt. He doesn't, Thomas, he doesn't want you to live in shame. He don't want you to walk through life with your head hung down, not seeing anybody who you can minister to, not seeing any need that is around you because you're wallowed up in this pity that you have for yourself. And rather than move forward in the forgiveness of the Lord and, and crucify your flesh and walk in the spirit that is offering us love and joy and peace that we all long for, we would rather walk in the shame. We all have seen at some point the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin turns to Hobbes and he begins to express his remorse. He says, I feel bad that I called Susie names and hurt her feelings. And with his head hanging down in shame, he continues, 
I, I'm, I'm actually sorry that I did it. And so Hobbes then offers her, him a solution. Well, maybe you should apologize to her. And the comic strip shows Calvin turning and walking away in his shame, his head hanging down looking at his feet. And he admits, I keep hoping that there's a less obvious solution. Please tell me there is some other way than I have than me asking somebody to forgive me. The most obvious solution is most often the correct one, amen? And let me say that Susie may forgive us or Susie may choose not to. And we can't get upset with Susie because she needs to work through her own steps of forgiveness. But the fact is we can never forgive ourselves and we can never move forward until we're willing to say those powerful words, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then lastly, we need to be able to forgive others. Will you turn back to Ephesians chapter 4? Ephesians chapter 4, and I want you to see these scriptures because it will help you. We need to be able to forgive others. Ephesians 4 and verse 29. I'm going to read down to verse 32. Let no corrupt communications proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Boy, if that doesn't pierce our heart. You're an Ephesian, go right. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Look in Colossians chapter 3. I want you to begin reading with me in verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and longsuffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. I want to say that the offending party may never say, I'm sorry. And they may never seek reconciliation with you. But we must remember that Christ wants to forgive us 
before we come to Him and seeks reconciliation if we will have it by receiving the gift offered to us through His Son. So sometimes reconciliation doesn't happen. We've all, we've all sinned and we're all caught up in this flesh. But I cannot control what Cecil Berry thinks. But I can make sure that my own heart is right. And maybe I've offended Cecil in some way. Maybe I've done him wrong. And maybe I am just too proud to come to him and say, I made a mistake, I'm wrong, I'm sorry. And Cecil, because of that, he may get anger. He may get bitter with me. And he may criticize every sermon that I ever preach. Or he could take it upon himself that whether I say I'm sorry or not does not matter. He does not need to allow bitterness and anger to hurt him any longer. And he needs to forgive and move on from it. Does everybody follow me? We live in a society where anxiety and depression and stress and angry words hurt our relationships, hurt our neighbors, hurt our marriages, hurt our churches, hurts every relationship that we're involved in. Because we can't simply forgive. Or we aren't willing to be forgiven. So this Christmas in closing, receive the gift of forgiveness. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That even though they have gone against him. He's offering forgiveness to the whosoevers, not simply the chosen. Ask God to forgive you and experience the season worshiping the newborn king. Forgive yourself and experience the peace that Christmas offers. Did the angels not say, glory to God in the highest and on earth? Peace, goodwill toward men. And forgive one another. And release yourself from the bitter bondage that has a hold on you. And is always in your mind and in your heart. And it hinders your daily walk with the Lord. Can we bow our heads?